The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Our scripture for today is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is God's word for us today. Uh, well, it is uh, good to be back with y'all this morning. Uh, I hope that you had a, a great holiday season, uh, Christmas and New Year's, with uh, your family and friends. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I was gone last weekend, but uh, glad to be back this weekend. My family and I just got back from a, a week up in uh, northern Wisconsin with my in-laws, and uh, we had a great time up there. Uh, but I do have to tell y'all, while we were up north, uh, I realized how Texan uh, I've become in the last four and a half years. Uh, like, like, we'd be up there, and I kept saying y'all to people, uh, and they'd just give me this strange look, right? Or, or I took my, my almost two-year-old daughter, Lila, my little daughter, out to the snow for her first time ever, and she literally just, like, didn't know what to do. Like, she just stood there staring at it, like, what is this strange substance? Uh, and, and then I'd catch myself getting really excited. You know, many of you know I'm a Green Bay Packers fan, and I'd get really excited whenever I saw someone wearing Green Bay Packers apparel. Well, I was in northern Wisconsin, Everyone is wearing Green Bay Packers apparel in northern Wisconsin. I got excited a lot, right? More strange looks, right? But these sort of things are, are to be expected uh, now that I've lived in the Republic of Texas for a while, right? As an expatriate of the Midwest, uh, over the course of the last four and a half years, I've taken on uh, some of the cultural customs of this exotic country. Uh, but I'll tell you, nothing prepared me more for Texas culture than the NBC show Friday Night Lights. Any fans? 
Awesome. Uh, well, for those of you not familiar with the show, it, it takes place in the, uh, the fictional small town of Dillon, Texas, and it follows the lives of, lives of high school football coach Eric Taylor and his family uh, and his players on his team. And throughout the series, I gained many valuable insights into life in Texas, and, and I learned some great phrases uh, such as Texas forever, no regrets. Uh, but far and away, the greatest lesson I took from Friday Night Lights is Coach Taylor's pregame mantra. Finish it if you want. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. That's right, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Now, for those of you that have, have been here early to volunteer on a Sunday morning, uh, you know that after we pray every Sunday morning before worship starts, that's the chant that we do. Since our first Sunday as a church at Pleasant Hill, we say that. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Uh, and here's why that, that mantra is awesome. Uh, because it's true, right? Like The idea being that if you have clear eyes, that if you see reality clearly, see it for what is it, see it for what it is, see this world, see your life clearly, and then if you have a full heart, that is you live passionately and you live deep then no matter what happens to you in this life, you can't lose. And I say that, and those are nice sentiments to be sure, but, but what do they actually mean, right? Like, what does it actually mean to see reality for what it is? What does it mean to live passionately, to live deeply? And in what sense does that mean if we do those things, we can't lose? Well, the life of David shows us what that all looks like. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at the life of this ancient shepherd, poet, warrior, and king of Israel. We're going to look at the story of David, and today what we're going to see in his anointing as his story gets started is we're going to see three things. We're going to see uh, what it is to be human, what it is to live deeply, and what it is to be named. All right, so in this first part of David being anointed, we're going to see what it is to be human, what it is to live deeply, and what it is to be named. All right, so let's, let's get going. Let's get into David, a little background about him. Uh, first of all, we actually know more about David than any other person in the Bible. And what's amazing is that what we see in him is not some sort of ideal model of morality. Like, he's not a great father. He's a super bad husband. Uh, if you were to look at his reign just kind of outside the scriptural narrative, you just look at it from kind of a, a just purely historical perspective, uh, he could easily be dismissed as a, as a barbaric chieftain of a small ancient Near Eastern people group during the Iron Age. He's just kind of a blip. And yet, we get more details on his life than anyone else's in all of Scripture. Why? I believe it's because God wants us to see that David shows us what it is to be truly human. That David shows us what it is to be truly alive, to live with clear eyes and a full heart. And here's how David does that. Not by being perfect, but by living all of life before God. David lives all of his life before God. He doesn't have some like slivered off, sectioned off spiritual life. All of his life is lived before God. And so to be fully human means to live all of life before God. Because the reality is we can't be human without God. Like this is what we believe as Christians. That as Christians we believe that human life is a gift. That every part of it is designed by God and therefore it actually means something. That every part of it is blessed by God and is meant to be enjoyed. And that every part of it is accompanied by God, which means we can work through whatever comes our way because He's with us in this life. 
And so in the life of David, we see what it is to be fully human before God. As author Eugene Peterson puts it about David, he says this, we see David fighting, praying, loving, sinning. David conditioned by the morals and assumptions of a brutal Iron Age culture. David with his eight wives. David angry. David devious. David generous. David dancing. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that God can't and doesn't use to work His salvation and holiness into our lives. If we're going to get the most out of the Jesus story, we'll want first to soak our imaginations in the David story. And see, that last line there is the end goal for me here in this series. That's to get the most out of the Jesus story, to get the most out of the Jesus story, to live in light of His story, for us to do that with clear eyes and full hearts, we're going to soak our imaginations in the David story. And so let's get into it. The David story begins in 1 Samuel 16, our text for today, with David's anointing. Now as we get into this text, I do want to give us a really brief history of the biblical narrative up to this point, All right, just so we're all on the same page. I know we've got some of you that are, are Bible scholars that are here, and some of you that are just dipping your toe in the water and figuring this stuff out right now. So let's just get us all on the same page. All right. So the story of David uh, takes place in the first half of the Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, and the Old Testament follows the history uh, of God's people, the nation of Israel. And so at this point in their story, we've seen their origin in the person of Abraham, and then we've seen them delivered from slavery in Egypt, and then they wandered the desert for 40 years, and then finally they settled in the land that God promised them. And after a few years of being in that land, the people decided, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, I believe 8 or 7, uh, the people decide that they want a king. And so God gives them a king, and the first king they have is this guy named Saul. And Saul starts out as a pretty good guy. Uh, but then he gets a little too big for his britches, starts to disobey God a bunch of times. And so God looks at him and says, you know what, this guy's got to go. I'm going to get a new king. And so God uh, calls his boy, the, the prophet Samuel, and says, Samuel, you've got to go anoint this new king. And then this happens. Look with me at verses 1 to 2 in our text. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. All right, so we'll stop there. So, so God says to Samuel, hey, get over Saul and go anoint the new king. Right? He says, I've, I've already chosen him. He's, he's one of the sons of this guy, Jesse, who lives in this backwater town called Leand, I mean Bethlehem. And, and then Samuel, I love his response, he logically says, he's like, God, listen, they're, they're like, there's already a king. And so, so if I go and anoint a new king while the other king's still alive and he hears about it, he's going to kill me. And I love God's response here. Don't you love God's response here? He's like, Oh yeah, okay, well just take, take a, a cow with you and, and offer it as a sacrifice and say that's why you're going there. Saul won't suspect a thing. See, I love this part because God can be sneaky, right? God can be sneaky. Uh, which, by the way, should be fair warning to some of you here today who you're maybe running from God, you maybe don't want to be here, you're maybe here unwillingly, your, your folks drug you here, or your wife did, or your husband did, and you're like, I don't want to be here. Listen, just so you know, God can be sneaky, all right? He may just surprise you. He may just sneak up on you when you least expect it. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, 
and the town elders come out and meet him, and they're scared uh, because prophets typically don't bring good news. Typically when a prophet would show up, it's judgment. It's like, hey, you guys have messed up. The hammer is about to drop on you. But Samuel assures them, he says, hey, no, I'm just here for a sacrifice. Why don't you get the whole town out here, and we're just going to have ourselves a big old barbecue. And so sure enough, the whole town comes out to the sacrifice, which, which really you should think of less of as a church service and more of as like a festival that this whole town comes out for. And Samuel specifically then invites Jesse and his sons. And then in the next section of text, we get this like visual of, of it's as if Jesse's lining up his boys in front of the whole town at this sacrifice, and Samuel's going down the line and evaluating them as whether or not they're fit for king, right? And so this happens, verse 6. When they came... He, Samuel, looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. All right, so the prophet Samuel is looking over this guy, Jesse's sons, to see who the new king is going to be. And here's the oldest, right? Eliab, this big, tall, strong dude. He's the oldest son. His name literally means God is my father. Like Samuel's looking at this guy and he says, this is the dude. This is the guy who's going to be king. And God says, nope. Nope. And it was actually even more interesting than what meets the eye. Because here's the thing, throughout all of ancient Near Eastern literature, right, like if in your free time this week uh, you're going to go and, and read a bunch of ancient Near Eastern literature, which I know uh, many of you do, uh, if, if you were to do that, you'd notice that, that primogeniture was common practice across all cultures in the ancient Near East. Primogeniture, uh, meaning the oldest son of each family, automatically inherits everything in the family when the father passes that the oldest son in each family is just the de facto head of the household, that everything that's the father's automatically goes to the son, like, like the oldest son, like he's just top dog his entire life. But what's fascinating is that in ancient Hebrew literature, in the Old Testament, what we have, God regularly subverts this cultural norm. That it's Abel and not Cain. It's Jacob, not Esau. It's Ephraim, not Manasseh. And here in this text, we see God subverting this cultural norm again by saying it's not going to be Eliab. And God explains why it's not going to be Eliab in a particularly profound way, right? He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. It's profound, right? I was just talking with a, a friend of mine about this verse this week. Uh, I let her know I was preaching on it, and so we talked about it because that's what pastors do, I guess. Uh, and at any rate, uh, we, we were talking about it, and, and she just said, you know, Gabe, my, my whole life I've loved this verse. And she said, here's why, because when I was in junior high, you know, I just felt really awkward in my own skin, which I'm sure no one here can relate to. You all felt totally comfortable in junior high, right? She said, I feel awkward in my own skin, but she said, in my head, I'd remember in junior high this verse that God doesn't care about that, that he cares about my heart. And then she said, Gabe, as I got a little older and I was in high school, I thought I was ugly. I thought all my friends were so pretty and I was just the ugly duckling that hung out with them. But then I'd remember this verse and think, okay, God doesn't care about how I look on the outside. He's looking at my heart. And she said, then I got into college and all my friends had, had serious boyfriends and they were getting engaged and they were getting married and I was very single. And she said, but then I remembered, God looked at my heart and he's got my heart and that's enough. 
And see, this is so amazing to me because this one verse, this verse 7 here of of 1 Samuel chapter 16, simultaneously subverts a backwards cultural norm from the Iron Age and subverts a shallow cultural norm from our times, right? Because our culture is absolutely obsessed with appearance. We just are. Whether for you it's physical or technological or socioeconomic or whatever, we live in a time of unprecedented appearance worship. Between our Facebook posts and our Instagram filters and our selfies, the fake lives and the perfect families that we present to the world online. Or between our level of education and our careers and our ever-increasing sizes of our homes and our cars, we've become emaciated men and plastic women. So listen, regardless of how much you don't think what I just said now applies to you, trust me, it does. We worship appearance in this culture. It applies to me. It applies to you. It is just part of the air we breathe. Like, true story, uh, a few weeks ago, I had like the weirdest weekend. I'm not kidding. So, so Saturday night, a few weeks ago, uh, I, I was invited to a, a Christmas party uh, at, at the, the house of a, a fairly powerful individual. And I went to it Saturday night, and the dress, uh, for the dress code for this event was Christmas cocktail. Like, I, I don't even know what that means, right? So I, don't know, I, I threw on a green tie. I seemed okay. Uh, and, and so I'm at this party, this fancy house. There's a private bartender there. There's all sorts of foods with names that I can't pronounce, but they were delicious. And I talked to these people who were just like powerful and wealthy. I talked to this woman who's, who's consulting a tech company in Seattle, and she's like, yeah, I'm helping them go from 70 million in profits to 100 million in profits this year. And I was like, I don't have categories for that kind of money, right? And then I talked with a man who's in charge of product placement for, for, Holly, for, for Dell in Hollywood. So like literally every week, he flies out to Hollywood, sits down with uh, Hollywood execs and says, how can we get a Dell computer in your next film? Like I met with all these like high-powered, wealthy people, and guess what? They looked like it. The next day, all right, so that was Saturday, Sunday, I drove to Dallas, and I went to a hardcore concert. It was a much different night from my Saturday night. The clientele at a hardcore concert is different than those at fancy cocktail parties. I don't know if you knew that. But guess what? Kids at hardcore shows are just as concerned about coming off a certain way as people at fancy cocktail parties, right? Got to have the big earrings, got to have the tattoos, got to have the skinny jeans, right? It doesn't matter what circles you run in. This obsession with surface-level things is everywhere. But what does our text say? Our text says man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And listen, I'm not saying having a good job or wearing certain clothes or posting things online is bad, okay? I do all of those things. We all do those things. But what I am saying is our obsession with how we appear to the world, our obsession with being seen a certain way is absolutely detrimental to the work that God wants to do in us, in our hearts. Theologian Norman Geisler puts it like this. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. More concerned about our holiness than our happiness. Let me say that again. God is more interested in our character than our comfort. More concerned about our holiness than our happiness. See, man looks on outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel skips over Eliab. 
And then he skips over Abinadab. And then he skips over Shammah. And then he skips over four more of Jesse's sons. And then this happens. Look with me at verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And so you get this vibe at this point in the story that Samuel is just like exasperated, right? And he just says, hey, do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, well, I mean, there's the youngest, uh, you know, just the, the runt, right? The, the, the Hebrew word there for the youngest is the word hakaton, and it's got these like undertones of, of insignificance, right? He's like, well, there's the, the little, you know, baby, but you wouldn't want anything to do with him. And he says, plus he's, he's out, you know, tending the sheep. He's out bagging groceries right now. And Samuel says, no, 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 you go get him right now. We're not eating until I meet him. And so they go and get David, and no sooner does David show up that God tells Samuel, this is it, this is the guy, he's going to be the king, you anoint him. Then look what happens, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, I want you to notice this. If, if you were to, uh, say, never have heard of the story of David before, never read the Bible before, anything like that, his name has not been mentioned until this chapter. And then if you were to read this story and you were to you know, just go through these first 13 verses, his name still has not been mentioned. It isn't until David is anointed by the prophet of God that we hear his name. But then he's named. And his life takes off. After he's named from that point on, we read his name 600 times in the Old Testament and another 60 in the New Testament. But see, it isn't until this hakaton, the runt, the young one, the one out doing the unimportant job, is anointed by God's prophet and named that we really see him in action. And you may not realize it, but the results of David's life have actually changed yours forever. See, because David had a son, and that son had a son. And that son had a son. And that son had a son. And some 20 or so sons later, a guy named Joseph was born. And he grew up and got engaged to a lady named Mary. And she gave birth to a son named Jesus in a backwater town called Bethlehem. But this Jesus wasn't just David's son. He was God's son. And he was anointed at his baptism as the true king of the entire world. And he then went to live the life you could not and died the death you deserve and rose again that you might be made right with God both now and into eternity. And see, he was anointed by God's Spirit to go into this world to gather the hakaton, the runts, the left behind, and to bring you into his kingdom, to bring you into his family, to anoint you with his Spirit, to give you forgiveness, to give you new life, to give you purpose. And so friends, may that be an encouragement to you today. See, if you've put your trust in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, if you've been baptized, then you've been named. You've been named. You've been anointed. Look at these words from Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him catch that even as he chose us in him when before the foundation 
of the world. Like, how amazing is that? God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose you. Like, think about how mind-blowing that is for a second. See, I think sometimes people say this, well, hey, you know, I want God to use me in everything, and I know I'm supposed to be used by Him, but like, like I'm not that good of a Christian. You know, I'm just a lay person. I, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not a professional minister. I'm just tending sheep, you know, I'm just bagging groceries. I'm just raising my kids. I'm just studying for school. I'm just writing code. And God says, yes, that's exactly who I use. Look at David. Before the foundation of the world, God knew exactly who you were going to be. He knew your name, and He said, yes, that's who I want. So this past week, while we were in Wisconsin, uh, one of Melissa's relatives was having a really bad week. Um, He's going through a lot. He had had a panic attack and was severely depressed, and it was quite frankly suicidal. And he didn't know what to do, and, and so uh, one day he just showed up at my in-law's house crying and uh, my mother-in-law ran out and gave him a hug and brought him in and my father-in-law welcomed him in and they said hey why don't you just stay with us and we, we were having our immediate family's Christmas and they said why don't you stay with us for a couple days and, and just be with our family can I tell you something about my in-laws they're good people but they're average northern Wisconsin folks lots of cheese lots of sausage church on Sunday Prayers at night, she runs an in-home daycare, he's a respiratory therapist who likes to fix stuff, like, that's it. And guess what? They probably saved this guy's life this past Christmas. Because God chose them before the foundation of the world. And see, so hear this, my, my end goal as a pastor is not that you all would say, oh man, Pastor Gabe, wow, that guy made such a difference in my faith walk. Oh, Pastor Gabe made such a difference in my life. Listen, it's fine if I do that, I hope I do, but that is not my end goal. My end goal is this, is that one day you'd say, hey, man, when things got really tough for me, I had these friends from church that prayed with me and cried with me and walked with me. My end goal is that your non-Christian friends would say, hey, thank you for being so loving and caring. It's awesome hanging out with you. What's so important in your life? That my end goal is that this city would say, there's something different and mysterious and wonderful about those people at Axley Ander. My end goal is that 10 years from now, your kids would say, man, my mom and dad showed me what it looked like to follow Jesus. My mom and dad told me all about Jesus. Like, that's my goal. That you would see before the foundation of the world, God looked at each of you and said, you're my plan A in this world. See, in Jesus Christ, God has anointed you with His Spirit. He's named you. And He will use you as you live with clear eyes and a full heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for my friends for this day. Give you thanks that you chose us before the foundation of the world. That you named us. That you've anointed us. Teach us to live into that calling. To live our lives before you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.